This episode is proudly brought to you by Buttons Brewing. You are listening to Better Off Dad. I was lucky enough to catch up with a very busy Will Smith. Will is the founding director of JCP Youth, which is at the forefront of personal development for at-risk and vulnerable young people. Will has received a Human Rights Award and been recognised in the Australian of the Year Awards. I had this chat with Will online and then was lucky enough to catch up with him in person a couple of days later and lucky enough to be in a few of the young people in his program. It was a small window, but this is where I saw the first hand the difference that this guy is making. I could see his passion and commitment to making a real difference in young people's lives and I left inspired. I'm sure you will too. And welcome to Better Off Dad. I am joined here by Will Smith. How are you, Will? Good, Nathan. How are you, mate? Yeah, going well, mate. Going well. Um, you were just telling me uh, off air, mate, you've been busy, so I uh, really appreciate your time coming on. No, no, we, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be able to have a chat to you and, and the people that listen. So, yeah, I hope there's some value in it. Mate, well, some of the people that are listening, very rarely, but occasionally they'll say, oh, you should try and get such and such on. And I have had a few people, honestly, and I'm not just saying this, I had a few people say to me, you've really got to try and get Will Smith on. And I knew a little bit about the work you were doing. Not a lot, to be honest, Will, not a lot. And, and since I've done a little bit of homework about JCP, which I'll ask you about very shortly, mate, it's really inspiring to hear somebody with your passion and, and, and somebody on a mission as you are to make a difference. Where did, where did that passion come from, mate? Um, I think it stemmed from school for me. So I went to school uh, in Launceston. Uh, I lived about an hour out of town. And I was a bit of a grey man in school, year seven, eight, nine. Like I reckon a lot of parents will relate to, um, you know, I use the term, I only use three words to, to, to talk to my parents during school. They were good and not much. Um, you know, I could answer any question my parents hit me up with that. You know, how was your day? Good. What did you get up to today? Not much. How was footy training? Good. How are your mates? Good. I, you know, and I just, I got to the end of year nine and I had an experience where I could go and volunteer and, and help out some vulnerable and at-risk kids in the community. And I probably fell in that category a little bit myself at the time and, and didn't realise it. Um, and then from there, that just sort of flowed on and stemmed and, and I think making a difference or doing something good became a bit of an, an addictive feeling and, and it's it's filled a bit of a void for me as well. So, yeah, that's probably where it stemmed from. Was it an initial connection that ramped things up a bit for you, Will, with that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the the, the story behind actually attending was, you know, I was at an assembly in school and, um, you know, a lady came in and she was really happy clappy, I call them, and she was, you know, saying, who wants to help change the world? And, you know, I sunk in my seat and thought, who's this absolute nut job? And um, as a joke, my mate signed me up to the program. You know, he wrote my yeah, name right. down and I ended up going away uh, to Hobart, which is you know, obviously the south of the state, and I'd never been there before. And um, I was on a bus full of people who were all singing and clapping their hands. And, you know, I would just finished footy training the night before and didn't think I'd ever be involved in that type of mess. And we arrived in Hobart, but, yeah, I... Um, we engaged one-on-one with these young people who are around nine or 10 and I was only 15 or 16 myself. And, um, and when I engaged with this one particular young person, you know, he was, you know, intimidating in a way. His head was shaved other than a mohawk that went from front to back and his ears were stretched out. He was, you know, he knew more language than I did. And, um, I just think three hours into that program, we were best mates. I just thought, you know, I've got a, um, a bit of a gift at being able to connect with young people. Um, I think just because, um, you know, egotistically, I'm a bit raw and, and real. And, um, yep. you know, I remember that night in a debrief, we sat around a circle and there were a lot of people there who were wanting to be youth workers and counsellors and, and going to fields to, you know, help with our community service work. And, 
And they were really confronted and said, you know, I'm really struggling to connect with my young person and I'm really struggling to engage and they keep swearing at me. And I remember sitting there just thinking, shit, I'm having a great time. This is awesome. I mean, uh, my young person's an absolute legend. And um, I remember finishing that week and, and when I finished the week with the young person, I just thought, yeah, you know, like this is, you know, I just feel really genuine in my chest. And um, and I walked away and said, you know, I'm not interested in going into community services. I don't want to work with young people, but um, you know, I've got aspirations in other areas of my life, but, um, but I'll always contribute to youth programs and work with young people because I think, you know, it's something that I'm good at and, um, and I enjoy doing it. So, yeah. You've had about 10 years working with youth programs now, Will? So, yeah. So I left school, um, and, uh, joined the police. So, uh, my background's in policing and, um, you know, I've worked, uh, up on the Northwest Coast, worked in a country area. Uh, but over the last few years, um, my role has, been in, in tactical operations in the special operations group. So that's sort of yep. where my passion and, and my aspirations uh, lay. And I, I always wanted to, to work my way up into, you know, a really uh, intense role with the police. I, I'll absolutely love my career with TAS Police. Um, but always on the side, I, I developed a bit of a, an affiliation to develop youth programs. So, you know, for not-for-profits and charities and services that were working with young people, I, I felt like I had some uh, value to offer them that I could, you know, develop programs that would help connect them with young people and engage them with young people. And, and so that was my goal really in, in my, on my weekends and my days off and in holidays, uh, outside of the police. Um, I'd have interactions with young people and I could see where we were failing as a system. And then I could see what was working well and how we were connecting with kids who are at risk or vulnerable. And then the purpose was, right, right, what can I do then to develop a program to engage these particular kids? So. There was a period of time over the last sort of 10 or 11 years, I had programs running here in Tassie, uh, Victoria, New South Wales, and even Queensland as well. So sort of flying about um, on my time off, just developing programs and sort of going to organisations and saying, hey, we've got this six-month program, you know, you guys take it, go apply for some funding and I'll come up and help you run it. So that's sort of where it all it all started to, to, to run. Um, and then the story goes is that that all then came crashing down one day when I came home from from the work with the police and I sat on the couch and I'd been away for a few days on a job um, in in special operations and I remember sitting on the couch and turning the TV on and, and I watched this news story on Sunrise of a young boy who'd just raped and murdered a young woman at a Melbourne train station and uh, I recognised the boy because he did one of my programs in Victoria for two years um, oh. and I'd personally mentored him for a few of the months of the program. And, uh, and I went on a bit of a soul searching mission and, and I just wanted to find out what went wrong. And, and I just came across pretty much every program that I'd developed and everything that I'd been involved in was, it was a great experience for young people that had a great time. They'd learned some lessons, but, but primarily when I researched and, and went and found a lot of the young people over the course of 10 years, pretty much all of them were either locked up, dead, not attending school, not positively engaged. And, and I had a really, really big moment down south in Hobart where a young person said to me, you know what, I reckon I'm worse off because I did one of your programs. And yeah. I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, listen, I did your program and, and we went away and um, and when we went away, I just felt so empowered. I felt like I was the best version of myself. I, I just feel so good. And you taught me all these values and these underlying messages around leadership and life. And then you just threw me back in my environment and I could do nothing with it. It was like I was exposed to this whole world and I couldn't, I could never get back to it. You provided me with this, with this hope and this fantasy 
and then there was no support to actually guide me through it and and that then sort of instigated some mental health issues and you know a, a real lack of self-belief and and that's where JCP uh, was formed within a week really it was just about right I, I just feel so guilty and so overwhelmed that I'm receiving all this um, you know this fake recognition um, you know I'd received awards for some of my programs and you know young citizen of the year and all of this stuff had been you know, filtrating through and I just felt like I was fake that, you know, we were helping kids have a fun time but we weren't changing their life and, and that's what I wanted to do, you know. If I'm going to spend my spare time on something, you know, I want it to work, I want it to be genuine and so the, the premise and purpose behind JCP is let's create a program that's not happy and clappy. There's no songs, there's no dancing and, you know, sometimes there is but but the, <laughs> but the purpose is this is a program that's got to work and if you're a young person that joins it, look out because I'm going to contribute everything to make sure your life changes and, and that's where it started. Um, yeah. Yeah, gee, that's, that's some confronting feedback, isn't it? Direct feedback. Think in relation to that direct feedback. We've all got to have direct feedback. Like there's no point in me walking away and going, you know, this is not working with young people uh, and just going, oh, well, I, you know, that that's my, that's what my capability is. That's what I've tried. Um, you know, whether it's with parenting, whether it's being a dad, a mom, whether it's being a mentor, a footy coach, or whatever it is, it's actually about walking away and going, "All right, well, that didn't work. What can I do to better it?" And, and taking full accountability for for things that don't work, and not not being down on yourself. Um, you know, I felt guilty, and my emotions at that time were were really heavy. But it it wasn't about succumbing to those emotions. It was just about right. What's a solution? What's What's a solution that we can that we can base it on? And now that guilt's gone because I feel like I've developed a solution that works. So through JCP, mate, how are you delivering that message? Is it mainly through school-based program? I know you do development camps as well. What what sort of different angles are you coming from, mate, to get that messaging out? Yeah, so um, when JCP first started, the premise was that I'd still remain with the police. Um, uh, you know, it's my dream job and, and still now is my dream job to be honest I uh, had a drop of a hat if I was selfish I'd go back to the police um, but the premise was to create a program that works so when we started we actually just picked out 10 boys from across the state uh, I, I was running the program and I had help from just a couple of mates that said yeah I'm happy to come along and, and help out so I picked 10 boys from as far up as you know Smithton and as far down as Hobart and spread everywhere in between and and we just, it was just offering mentoring to them. We took them away on, you know, I'd go away on the weekend for a fishing trip. So we just took the boys with us. Um, yeah, you know, cool. I'd go catch up with my mates in Hobart, just brought the boys along and, you know, they come and watched footy and we, you know, talked about life and it's just general stuff to start with. And then it started to flow on a bit more and we started going to the gym and working on our fitness and working on mindset and emotional intelligence and, you know, to give you an idea of those 10 boys that first started last year in 2021, eight of them were student leaders in their school, you know, and they all started awesome. as, uh, yeah, they all started as youth offenders um, or kids who were engaged in, in disengaged behaviours, not attending school. So, you know, the premise was that, you know, there was no guide to the program. It wasn't nine till five. It wasn't Monday to Friday. It was just, listen, I'm here. And when you need me, give me a buzz. Um and then we sort of started to develop the program and the content on top of that. So, you know, we turned that engagement into, hey, listen, every time you come and spend time with me, let's work on your mindset. Let's work on emotional intelligence. Let's work on, you know, the overarching banner of what we call leadership, um, and which is about just doing good things. And then it was working. So, you know, what, what flowed on then is we, we made the program bigger. But at the time, I was just funding the program out of my own back pocket, you know, and I was yeah, fortunate wow. that... Um, 
you know, that I could do that. So um, what then happened is is the program started to get traction and, and, you know, schools were saying, holy crap, this young person's turned their life around and, and why? And, and we were getting a bit of recognition for it. Uh, and so then what happened is uh, I sort of went to the police and said, listen, this is having a, a huge impact. I need to, to reduce my hours to, to see if we can work with some more kids. And, and then that's flowed on to now where uh, we have 48 kids in the program across the state. Um, and we have almost daily contact with those 48 kids and, and the premise is that we, we've changed their life. Um, and, you know, a lot of those kids, you know, still engage in some behaviours which some of us would look at and think, yeah, oh, that's not the best. But, you know, there's some kids that we've actually saved their life. Literally, we've been able to get them all back to school where, you know, we've got plenty of student leaders in there, contributors to communities. They're all playing sport or doing an activity um, in the community and, and we're making a big difference but everything that falls outside of that program that we call BEAST, so that's the, the BEAST program is the boys program, 48 boys that we work with. Everything outside of that program is a support system to financially uh, support it. So we all the, all the content that I, that I deliver to kids, I've developed all that content um, and, you know, that's that's all been developed and I deliver it now to kids on their camps and activity days and their mentor sessions. We've packaged that up and we deliver it to schools. We've packaged it up and we deliver it in really intense camps. And and they all exist to provide funding so we can run the program. And the premise behind that is we, you know, we self-fund that program, it's called. You know, we self-fund it. We don't rely on funding or grants or anything because there's no end date to the program. When you join, you're here. Until you want to leave, you can leave. And so you know, this is a sustainable program that works. It's not you come for three months and then you finish, graduated, see you later. We've had plenty of kids graduate from the program and, and right now they're volunteering and they're helping other younger kids get through. So once they graduate from the program, then they come and work for us um, or volunteer and and, um, and that's the cycle now. So we offer that family support base that, you know, um, that, that supports them and, and all the seminars and leadership programs and the content that I push out across the state you know, last year I worked in 62 schools just here in Tassie. We worked with uh, 24 corporate groups. Um, you know, we're walk- working with professional sporting teams. We work with AFL clubs, you know, Cricket Tasmania. We've got, you know, Oakley, the sunglass brand, send 60 executives down just to engage in our content, you know. The purpose is it's real, it's raw, it's genuine, but it works and it changes these young people's lives. Um, and if we can use it to change their life, then you know, that content we're sort of spreading across the state to inspire and empower, you know, everyone around it. And while they they don't get access to the intensive everyday elements of the program, they still get access to that content and they can take and do with it what they want. So, but it's created a weird lifestyle for me. I work full time doing it now and and I feel like I've got 48 kids, Uh, you know, I have almost (laughs) daily contact with them and, and, uh, yeah, it can get pretty intense at times, especially on weeks like this current week. You've got, you know, we've got boys, a couple of boys suspended this week and a couple of boys, you know, going through some different challenges and hurdles and, you know, it's all, it all wumbers in on the, the one week at the time. So, yeah. When you talk about developing leadership within these kids, what sort of strategies are you using around that, Will? Look, some of the core strategies that we use, and I think it's important to note that the young people I engage with are at risk and vulnerable, but the strategies that I use are for every young person. You know, these these strategies need to be implemented in every young person because the strategies that we use are just strategies that they have lacked on. So when we build the strategies up in them, what happens is we can actually build and mould that young person to come from a background that's at risk or vulnerable, um, but to be able to not only survive in that background, but be 
to implement it in ordinary settings like schools and sporting groups. So some of the strategies and some of the, the core ones are, you know, engaging in influence. So understanding what influence looks like, the influence of, of people you spend time with, the influence that you have on people. And we know through proven research that our thoughts, actions and opinions, they're all heavily influenced by the top five people that you spend the most time with. So we focus really heavily on being able to get the young people in our program to understand that, you know, that what they think, what they do and what they think of the world around them is heavily influenced by people. Um, we work really heavily on three core traits with our young people. And these three core traits are what we call hungry, humble, smart. So, you know, for me, these are the three core traits to build an ideal young person, an ideal employee, someone who's ideal in a relationship, you know, ideal in, in a sporting team. You know, the ability to be hungry, to work hard, to get stuff done and chew through a barrier or, you know, to find that bit of resilience. That's so important to build that trait in young people. The ability to be humble, which means, you know, um, to, to think of others, to give, to be able to emotionally connect to people and understand emotion is so important. And then also the ability to be smart. Now, this is not academically smart. It's just our ability to make good decisions, to read emotion well, but also make good decisions under pressure and when it matters. When we build those three core traits in young people, and our whole program really bases around building those three core traits, we can turn a youth offender who's not attending school at all into a nationally recognized youth leader. And, and you know, we've got boys who are school captains um, in, in, in schools here in Tassie that, um, you know, that two, three years ago weren't attending school at all and were active youth offenders out on the street. Um, and, and the premise is we build those three core traits. Um, you know, and I'll touch on just for two minutes, you know, those, those three core traits are what you need to be an ideal employee. When I employ people here at JCP, I want someone who can work hard so they're hungry, someone who cares and thinks of other people and can fit into a team environment so they're humble, and someone who makes good decisions so I'm not constantly trying to clean up their mess. Um, and so they're the three core traits that we try and find. So we just build that in young people and, and that's the purpose. When one of those traits fall away, that's when conflict arises. That's when young people engage in negative behaviours. That's when issues arise. So if I'm hungry and I'm smart, I make good decisions and I work hard, if I lack the ability to be humble, I'm like a skillful politician. You know, I, I, I'm very driven and I get shit done, but I don't get along with people. And, and, and I have conflict with people because I'm so self-focused. If I'm, you know, if I'm humble and hungry, so I have the ability to get along with people and to work hard, but I, I don't make good decisions. I'm constantly saying sorry a lot. I'm like an accidental mess maker, you know, like I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, people are always cleaning up after me and fixing my mistakes. And to finish, you know, if I'm, if I'm, humble and smart so I make good decisions and I you know I'm very humble I get along with people but I, I lack the ability to be hungry what happens is I'm like a lovable slacker you know I, you know I don't wake up early I have no motivation I'm tired and lethargic and I don't get stuff done and I try and you know I try and please everyone and everyone thinks that I do stuff and so we know that our kids will offend or engage in risk-taking behaviors when one of them traits falls down so you know the whole program's based on building elements of those traits in young people. You know, we feed homeless people every week, not because I've got a, a passion to feed homeless people, but because when young people go and do something good in the community, they feed a homeless person, they walk away and go, oh, I feel really good. Yeah, that's that's humility. That's building humility. 
You know, we pick something each day that that young person's got to get done. I don't care what happens today. You will get this shit done. It'll finish. You'll execute. You'll get it done. And that's building that trait of, of being hungry. And it's about making good decisions, right? This week, we're just going to make this one good decision. And when you can knock over, chew through and get that done, that, that builds that ability to go, yeah, I can see how that really benefited me, right? And, and we build that trait. A big shout out to our sponsors, Bruce's Cafe in Wynyard. Seeing all these good qualities come out in these kids through through your program and the work that you're you're putting in with them together, working together to get these good good results at the end, you must get frustrated at times. Uh, we're all seeing um, a lot of outside perception of our youth. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think, um, look, you know, I use the example of a young person that's been in my program for two years. They do something wrong and everyone just goes like, oh, the program's failed. You know, like um, yeah, I look at things true. like and – we, and we do this with, with young people in our own life. So if you think of your young person, you know, they do something wrong and the whole community wants to talk, you know, behind your back about, you know, oh, he's gone a bit off the rails and he's done this and he's done that. And, you know, they don't see all the good. They don't see, you know, what happens at night time. They don't see what ha- – you know, this young person, yeah, he just engaged in, you know, stealing a chocolate bar from the local supermarket, but they didn't see the four weeks of really good, genuine behaviour and then, the, you know, the vulnerability or trauma-informed practice that's happened that fo- that's forced that. Um, for our community and the perception, not just on, on the kids I work with or just kids in general, but it's about um, for us looking at – uh, not being emotively reacting, so being angry or, you know, this kid's done this or, you know, um, why would you work with that kid? He's a lost hope. You know, that's all just emotions and it's just people's emotions rolling. And I think, you know, I always use the term about expectations. When when a young person, and I face this every single day, uh, trust every single day, you know, we've got 48 kids in our program, but I engage still with 98 kids on top of that just on an irregular basis. And, um, of, of all those, those kids that I work with, male and female, um, I constantly face disappointment. I constantly face, you know, young people that have let me down or have done something, you know, and it's understanding that there's, it's always a step by step process and emotively reacting will never get you anywhere. And, and I train my staff and volunteers and I even talk about at parent seminars that, you know, emotive reactions don't work. You have to understand that you're not actually angry or disappointed in anything else other than the expectation that you've set for that young person. You know, I, I had a young person contact me, and this is this is a real story, contacted me this week, and he said, listen, you know, we've worked on values, and I've told you that one of my values is honesty, so I need to tell you that I still use dope. I still, I'm still smoking cannabis. Now, I didn't know that the young person was smoking cannabis. You know, I thought that he'd stop that. Um, and he said, I just want to be honest with you. I'm working hard to try and stop it and I'm, I'm putting strategies in place, but I'm 16. All my mates do it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm heavily influenced by him at the moment and I feel so ashamed. I've just got to tell you about it. The, the ordinary way to react is I'm just angry and pissed off and I really want to get stuck into you about this and I want to give you a lecture and I want to tell you all the reasons why. But first, before I go into any of any, anything in relation to trying to, to, to be able to reform you know, reformative justice process that kid and put him through a process where I can make him understand all of that. I have to understand that the only reason that I'm emotively reacting is because I set an expectation on him and he didn't meet it. It wasn't his expectation to start with because when I met him, he was smoking cannabis. So he didn't have an expectation. 
I've set an expectation and he hasn't met my standard. And so having a standard is not wrong. And him not meeting the expectation, it's not my fault for setting the expectation, but it's about understanding first that that young person wasn't supported and guided to be able to meet it. So I first reviewed me before I reacted to him. What did I do that probably didn't help support him get to that expectation? And so have that review process first, and then I can go to him and say, hey, listen, I'm going to take some responsibility here because I don't think I've set this expectation, right, no smoke and dope, that's it, completely stopped. But then I didn't put processes and, and procedures in place to be able to help support him because it, it was an expectation I set, not he set. He, he, he was living his life and everything was fine and dandy in his eyes, you know. It must be challenging for you to see a lot because a lot of people, people's beliefs in this situation who, who, you know, this young guy who's been smoking dope or whatever, their, their first reaction is punishment and isolation you know, is the best way to treat that. It's very different than what you're doing now. So how do you come up against those different mindsets? I fall into a weird space here because, you know, my policing background tells me that when you do something wrong, yeah. there's consequence yeah, and there's yeah. action. And and I'm a big believer in that. I'm a really big believer in it. Um, yeah. And it has to be. You know, when you do something wrong, this is not – and I think – What's unique about the program in general is that, you know, a lot of services can be, you know, someone does something wrong and let's cloud them with, you know, love and support and, and you know, it's okay to make mistakes and sort of that happy clappy vibe. You know, I think we really fall in the middle here because, you know, young people need to have their love tank filled, but they, they're also, they also need structure, routine, and they need consequence. You know, there has to be consequence for actions. There, there has to be guidelines set for them. Um, but... If they don't meet those guidelines, if they're not meeting structured systems, routines, or supports, you have to always ask yourself first, what am I doing? You know, and, and I've been to households, I get called to households all the time. And, you know, um, I sat down with a, with some parents the other day and, and, I, and I said to them, um, you know, what's the issue? And they said, listen, we've engaged uh, in something quite physical at home because we've set a rule, no phones in the bedroom. Um, and then what's happened is the young person's run away and they've, you know, carried on. And, and, and I said, that's not a problem. It's, it's, what's the rule time for no phones in the, in the bedroom? And they said, oh, about 10 p.m., 9, 10 p.m. And I said, well, it's about 10 p.m. now. And you guys, uh, have both just come out of your bedroom to meet me at the front door and you've both got your phone. Do you guys abide by that rule? Oh, no, no, no. Cause we run businesses and we're doing this and that. And so, you know, I always, I always try and promote that when we set those standards, you know, the standard that we set is the standard that we, you know, we accept for young people. And, and you can never ask young people to do something without reasoning behind it. You know, I'm setting this rule and because I've set it, that's it. No questions asked. That never works. Didn't work for me when I was a kid. Didn't work for anyone else. Um, you know, when we set a rule, when there's reasoning behind it and you can justify your rule, they might not agree with it and young people might chuck a sook in relation to it. But at least then there's reasoning behind it. So when they come and their emotive response drops, they can actually relate and reason with that, with that rule. So, um, yeah, it's just about understanding that process, I think, and being able to, to, to properly relate to it. The ones that have, um, you know, close family networks, how involved are the families in this, in this program, Will? Look, it really differs. Um, we've got young people from really low socioeconomic backgrounds where, you know, it's a shame, but, you know, we'll go to pick a young person up for a four or five day camp. Uh, and there's no one there. Um, the young person will get in the bus and we try all our efforts to, to make contact to say that we're taking their young person. We'll return after five days and, 
and at times they won't even know that they've been away on camp. Um, they'll say, oh, you know, where were you yesterday? And I'll say, we've, we've actually had them for five days. Um, and so sometimes the involvement is extremely limited. Um, however, we've got kids in the program that come from really affluent backgrounds and we've got, you know, parents and, and family networks that are really, really supportive. Of, they just don't have... You know, they've reached the end of their tether. We've got families that are, you know, that have faced divorce because of young people that have just caused so much inherent at-risk and negative behaviours. It's just infected the household. We've got, you know, families that are so tight-knit and supported and there's just one young person that sits off to the side. And um, and so the program, you know, it varies. Some some families are really invested and they really support the program and other families are just not interested, and, and that's sort of where the behaviours have led from. So it, it really varies on a scale. Well, you mentioned trauma before, and I'm sure there's a lot of unpacking trauma in your role. Um, how how directly mm. is it related to a lot of these kids? Yeah, look, um, trauma-informed backgrounds is, you know, like I, I can look at a whiteboard over here. I've got a list of uh, I've got a list of 12 boys on that whiteboard that are, that are high-risk youth offenders, uh, six of them have been sexually abused uh, when they were, you know, under the age of 10. So, you know, um, that's half of that list of, of high-risk youth offenders um, have been sexually abused by older males um, under 10. I, I look at the rest of the board and, and I, I could I could relate some trauma to pretty much, you know, every young person that, that we engage with or work with. Um, you know, and that trauma can differ. We've got young people from a refugee or migrant status that, you know, have watched their parents, um, you know, be killed or, or pass away. We've got kids that grow up in a household that, you know, has then faced divorce and, and that in, in itself can cause trauma and adverse reactions in young people. And so it, it's really limited. Um, you know, m- my biggest push for parents to understand during our seminars, because we've offered uh, free seminars for parents to come across the state last year and when we had 450 parents come to seminars across the state, which was mm-hmm. awesome. One of the core things that, that I like to pass on um, to parents is to say that, you know, one of the biggest things that you can build in a young person is resilience. And the reason being is because if your young person hasn't felt any pain before, if they haven't had something traumatic happen to them, they will. And, and it will happen. And it might not happen until they're 20. It might happen when they're 30 or 40 or 50. Eventually, you're going to pass away. And that's going to be traumatic. And, and eventually... At some time in their life, they're going to go through something traumatic and they need to be prepared for that moment. Because if they're not, what happens is they revert back to vulnerabilities and that's such a dangerous space to be in. We're actually growing up in a culture and a society, and this is my personal opinion, but but where we really lack a lot of resilience. You know, when we have a problem, issue or conflict, quite often those problem, issues or conflicts are resolved by other people. You know, if I injure myself right now doing this podcast, an ambulance will come for free, pick me up, take me to the hospital, and I'll get free healthcare. You know, that is inherently rare in the world. Like it's, it's, you know, that is so uncommon. If I don't have food, there are services I can go to to get food tonight. There are, there are homeless shelters that I can go and sign up for to, to get under, under a roof there. You know, we have, you struggle with education at school and there's teacher assistance and support staffs and services and counseling and, and, Every time I have a problem, issue, or conflict, someone's jumping over the top of that young person to fix it. You know, I had an issue at school. Right, I'm going to send an email to the teacher. You know, I've had an issue with the bus driver. Right, I'm going to send an email to the, to the bus company. You know, and, and we're always 
I love that we grow up in such a privileged culture where we're, we're so protective and supportive of, of our processes and young people and what's happening. But we need to identify as well that it's not building resilience in young people and young people need resilience. They have to have that ability to overcome barriers, a bad interview, a bad date when they go on their first date, the, you know, the, you know, a bad experience that occurs, some trauma that happens. It doesn't matter how affluent you are. Young people will always go through trauma. It just varies on the level of what they can put up with. I always say to the young boys in my program, you guys are privileged. A lot of you have been through some horrible, horrible things, but that makes you a really strong person. You know, you know, because you've been through bad things and you've had trauma happen in your life, you can use that as a near superpower because you've got, you've got a trait that a lot of young people can't learn unless they go through something shit. And that's resilience. Because at the moment, every time something bad happens in their life, someone's trying to overcome it. You know, we've got kids that don't eat for days. Like they've got no, there's no food in their house. There's, you know, they don't have access to transport services. No one's kissing them goodnight at night. No one tells them good morning in the morning. Like, you know, yeah, it's horrible, but geez, they're resilient. Like, you know, when something bad goes wrong in their life, they've got the ability to overcome it. I say to parents, you know, your young person forgets their jacket at school. Don't take it. You know, they forget their laptop and left it at home. Stop driving back to the school to drop it. Like, let them, let them find a solution to it. I guarantee you they won't forget their jacket again on a rainy day. You know, like, you know, you, if you're going away and you, you, you know, oh, I've got to get Uber Eats back to my kid because he hasn't got any dinner. Is there food in the cupboard? Like, he'll, he'll figure it out. Like, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it, you it's know, I had one to, parent say to me, oh, that's, it is, yeah. And parents say, you know, um, you know, that's, you know, neglect. You can't not feed your kid at night. I'm like, oh, lady, I've got kids that don't eat for day. Like your, your child will survive without food for a night, but I guarantee if you've got food in your cupboard, he'll figure out how to make something, you know. And <laughs> it's not about getting food in his stomach. It's about building the resilience. So oh, there's no food here. I'm going to come up with a coping mechanism. So often we've got these devices and iPads and your young person's bored. Let's put them in front of a screen. It's the worst thing we can do. Put them, put them into an empty backyard. Get them into an empty backyard and get them to build that trait of an imagination because what happens is they're actually building on their traits of resilience and their emotional intelligence. Get them to use their imagination and come up with something. That's, uh, yeah, that's where we're lacking at the moment and we're seeing so many young people be referred to our program that we can't work with because of that. Yeah. We live in a very... um instant society don't we so if we if we want to watch something mm. on tv the kids want to watch something on tv their favorite show can be on in seconds if they're you know if they want to talk to their friend they can yep. talk to them in seconds everything's just at their fingertips they, they, there's when you talk about resilience there's no there isn't any patience being taught either because it's just a it's an automatic response for their wish that's yep. another challenge i guess we're facing with and also we we're just talking about that interesting to know your thoughts on this i suppose as a society do you think we're getting better at building resilience in our kids or worse because you, you often see trophies for kids you know uh used to be some some kids got a trophy for winning and some didn't but now everybody gets a trophy do you think that's do you think that's um causing problems as well with resilience i th- I, I think the key indicator is to look at one statistic and and you would have spoken about this on the podcast before no doubt and it's obviously known but for young people who are around 11 to my age at 30, so so in that, you know, pretty much it covers the majority of young people um, right up into their 20s, the most common cause of death for us is not at-risk behaviours, it's not car crashes, it's not cancer or medical conditions or the most common cause of death for every young male between 11 to my age at 30 is suicide. It's ourselves. 
we're more likely going to kill ourselves than anyone else. We're, we're more likely to kill ourselves than to lose our life in any at-risk behavior, medical condition. But at the moment, as a society and a community, we're investing more money in mental health than we have ever done in the history of the world before. We um, At JCP, we have programs that run in the Middle East in active war zones. So we've got a program that runs in northern Lebanon, southern Syria, the, the, the conflict and war in Syria. Um, in 2019, I traveled um, and smuggled myself into the into that active war zone and, and we worked with young people who were, you know, being actively recruited by Islamic State and terrorist groups and we engaged them in our content and, and in positive community engagement. And that program still runs. This week, it's still running. Oh, wow. Young people in the Middle East didn't have a word for suicide. They didn't have a word for depression. We had kids living on the side of the road covered in infections and medical conditions and they were the happiest kids that I'd ever met. I just, I couldn't believe how disconnected they were from society but how connected they were to themselves as a person. And I think the key indicator for looking at is whether we're the most resilient or the least resilient is to look at the fact that when something goes wrong, the very first thing that, that people have no resilience drop is their mental health. And, and it's identifying that, you know, as, as a society of young people, we are epically failing despite the investment in mental health services. That statistic is going up still. It's still rising through the roof. And, you know, young people, we jump on these bloody devices and we, and we, we're scrolling through social media and we see all we see is the best version of everyone else. If you jump on my social media, you'll see all this cool and fun stuff that I do every night on street teams and engaging and, and I'm, you know, I'm out, you know, doing presentations here and working with this group and that group and traveling. But you don't see the moments where I wake up and feel like crap. You don't see the moments where I'm sitting, you know, on a phone call with a kid for two hours and, you know, he's crying and I can't resolve an unresolvable issue. And you don't see the tough moments of, you know, I've got a couch behind me here that, you know, I accommodated a kid for 14 weeks last year. I slept on that couch for 14 weeks because I didn't have anywhere to go. Like, you don't see the tough moments. You know, before the couch, I slept on the floor here in this office at times because, you know, it's 2 a.m. in the morning and we're just trying to resolve stuff. Young people base their life on these devices and they, they, they're sitting at home and they see their friends out and about and, you know, posting on their stories and posting on their feed. And, and what they're doing is they're going, my life's crap. You know, I'm not engaging or doing this. But they, those young people just put that photo up and then they go home and they're doing the exact same thing, you know. And what, what's happening is we, we haven't taught our young people the skills to pick up their phone, not just to identify, well, that's just the best version of a young person, other person's life, but to go, well, that doesn't matter because I'm proud of who I am. I'm resilient enough to be able to, to pick myself up and go, right, well, what can I do right now in this moment to go for a run and to work on my mental health or emotional intelligence or, yeah, we, we have to build resilience in young people because I, I genuinely think we lack it um, because problem issues and conflicts arise and you're exactly right. What we do is people come in with solutions, you know, um, and those solutions are more trophies. The solutions are more awards and, and, and more recognition. You know, young people need to face defeat and failure because if they don't, they won't grow. You know, if I get an award every year, um, because I'm playing football and I get a trophy that recognizes me playing football every year. I'm not going to get better. I'm not going to put any more effort in. I'm not going to try or I'm not going to recognize that I'm probably better at another sport or engage in another activity because I'm, I'm so good at this. I get an award every year, you know, like, um, you yeah. know, we need to build resilience in young people. 
Yep. Do you think that's a, probably the key value as a parent? Um, you know, getting back to the the dad podcast side of things, mate. Here, do you think that's a key value that we need to be teaching our kids? Probably number one. Yeah, I, I, I genuinely do. I think I think that and emotive responses, but I think they align with each other. You know, emotive responses are, are, are being able to teach young people that when something happens, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, when something happens, emotive responses lead nowhere. So, you know, you can get angry, you can get sad, you can get upset, but eventually that emotion has to stop. And when it stops, you then have to find a solution. If I crash my car, I'm going to emotively react. Oh, it's his fault. It's my fault. I'm upset. Car, everything. We we have all these emotions. But eventually I'm going to have to get to the stage where I go, right, I need to call a tow truck. I need to follow this process, get the police here, do my statement, whatever. You know, there's there's a process. And teaching young people the process builds resilience. And I think that's my core message um, that I could get out is that, you know, okay, you've got angry, but when when that anger stops, we're going to have to start the process. So teaching young people really, okay, it's okay to recognize your emotion and it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be upset, but let's try and limit that time that it happens. Let's, let's recognize that eventually a solution has to come, you know, instead of, you know, stop being angry, that's not getting anywhere. Let's find the solution and just, and just get to it. Um, I think, you know, that in itself builds resilience, but it builds so much more emotional intelligence and, and things in young people as well. And it's probably a big contributor to our program too. What's what's your ultimate goal for for, for youth justice in, in Tasmania, mate? Where, where What's the big picture for, for Will Smith and for JCP? What, what's It's a good question. I sat down this morning, actually, I had a bit of a rant about this. Um, look, <laughs> I, I'm in two minds with it. Um, I'm in two minds for two reasons because I look at this board of young people that we work with and I just say, you know what, if we just worked with these young people and that's all we did, I'm happy. And, and I, I said, what we're doing is making a difference and you know, it's a drop in the ocean of, as to what we potentially could do. But in reality, um, you know, we don't ever undermine positive impact and, and, and we're doing a great job as is. Um, you know, I think we have massive potential to grow and we have massive potential to have impact uh, across the state with young people and not just youth offenders, not just in the youth justice system, kids that are disengaged. You know, I suppose I aspirationally look at goals and I think, you know, I'd love to be developing every time a young person gets suspended in our state, they should be engaging in a program, you know, not going and sitting at home and being rewarded uh, for a day off school. I look at kids, you know, because what happens is suspensions lead to, you know, more risk-taking behaviours, which then lead to youth offending, which then leads to the youth justice system. So it's about engaging in so many areas. You know, a parent's really struggling with their young person, boom, like they should, as a service, we should be able to engage that pro- 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 uh, participant in a, in a program, you know, a young person gets picked up for youth offending. There should be within 24 hours a service that jumps on that young person and they're straight into programs. You know, it doesn't exist here. If you want to, a young person commits an offence in Tassie, you know, they might get contacted two or three months down the track by, you know, someone that's going to organise a court date. That's it. You know, like there's no service support network guidance. It's identifying that once they've committed an offence, something's happened. Let's get them back on track. Within 24 hours, let's get someone to them face to face. So, aspirationally, that's where I, I want to see what we do grow to. Um, but, you know, that takes time and it takes, you know, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of resources to, to be able to build what we do and, um, you know, it, you know, potentially collaboration with funding and grants as well to sort of grow those aspects. Mate, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of listeners uh, here inspired like I am by your by your passion about this program. How can people, how can people help? Because 
you are not a government funded program, are you? So how can people no, support yeah. and get behind JCP and 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 you know contribute in some way? Yeah, look, um, there's a few ways. Um, you're right. We we just rely on the community to support what we do. Um, yeah. And, you know, we've got a business model through the delivery of all this content, which helps get, get, get money in. Um, you know, on our website, we've got a donate tab. So you can, you can sign up to, you know, something like being able to offer a mentor session or young person each week. So there's that financial option to be able to do something. Um, at the moment in the north of the state and the south of the state, we've got a program called Street Teams that runs in the afternoon. And all it is is all the boys and the girls in the program, um, we catch up with them every night. And so we've got volunteers that volunteer their time. And, you know, we've got business owners right down to uni students, to parents, to families that do it. And what happens is um, you come along um, and you say, I want to do it once a month. You might Some people do it once a week. Some people do it more. It might be once a fortnight. But you just give up an afternoon to go and spend with a young person who, you know, is in our program and needs a bit of guidance. And, and the good thing is, they're already in the program. They, they, their behaviours are on point. They know what the expectations are. And so it's just about helping us with the engagement and content. Um, and so that's just voluntary through street teams and you can apply for that uh, on the website. Um, in May, we have a gala night coming up in Hobart. Um, the gala night is nothing to do with fundraising. There's no auctions, events or anything. It actually is a really in-depth insight into how our program runs. Um, and it's quite confronting. We ran the same night in Launceston last year and people left and were just like, unbelievable. This is huge. Um, and so those gala nights will happen twice a year. May's in Hobart, November up here in Launceston. And it's, you'll hear from young people in the program. You hear from, about what we do and sort of the background to what happens. And so if you just want to know more about it and sort of be able to have a good night doing it, um, that's a really good opportunity as well. So, you know, you financially contribute on the website under the donate tab. You can volunteer your time as long as you're 16 and over and you've got a working with children card, um, which are pretty easy to get if you, um, you know, if you're eligible. And then, um, you can also attend our gala, uh, in May this year, which is going to be set to be a, an excellent night and a great opportunity to meet some young people that have really changed their life around. Well, I can't thank you enough for your, for your time today, mate. Um, I know, look, podcast is about trying to, Get messaging out to, to help other people, and um, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to get a lot out of this. But we, we um, yeah, certainly we'll be directing people towards uh, JCP and, and getting some help there whenever we can, mate, and, and promoting it throughout the podcast as well. But um, thank you very much for your time, mate. Wish you all the best with everything in the future. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. I really appreciate it, mate. Have a great afternoon. Good on you. Thanks, Will. Please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on and leave a review. Please be nice. Thank you for listening to Better Off Dad.